The Small Town Business Podcast is sponsored by Visit Gippsland, the land of many wonders. Head to visitgippsland.com.au to plan your trip. Whether it's walking and hiking or cycling or driving, camping, fishing, drinking and eating, you'll be exploring some of the most unforgettable destinations around. Head to their website or get inspired by their social media. All the links are in the show notes. There wasn't much of an appetite for lots of different reasons in rural industries for safety people. This whole fear-based stereotype that safety is all about paperwork. Farmers just don't want to do that because it doesn't add any value. Safety is such an important topic to discuss in any workplace, especially farms, and especially farms that are predominantly family-run. One woman has made it her mission to educate, inform and inspire safety and well-being in rural areas and she's taking it to the front line to help her. That front line is women, wives, daughters, daughters-in-law. They're often in just the right position to make change. Welcome to the Small Town Business Podcast. I'm Erica McEnany and today I'm talking with Alex Thomas, the founder of Plant Seed for Safety. Let's find out where she's from and get right into her story. I'm currently based in Nan in the Adelaide Hills, beautiful wine trap of South Australia. And in terms of how I came to be here, I mean, I'm originally from a sheep station up in the northeast pasture of South Australia. Over the sort of last, oh God, 36 years, I've just meandered my way from there down here via stints in Port Lincoln and Wakery in the Riverland and Perth and Darwin, all sorts of wonderful places. But this is where my partner and I are based and we love it. Tell us all about Plant Seed for Safety. What's it about and how did you come to be in that space, in that business? Plant Seed for Safety is a rural social change initiative that spins yarns that save lives. So it puts health, safety and wellbeing front of mind for people in rural communities in the most fun, impactful and meaningful way possible. I wear a couple of hats. One as the founder of that social change initiative and the other as a safety professional of the non-box ticking origin. Essentially, it was a number of things that just all melded together very early in the piece. Kicked off, I suppose, by my you know idyllic childhood on the land, that coming to a crumbling halt and then going into the mining industry learning everything not to do from a work health and safety perspective in terms of taking a very top-down, big-stick kind of approach, then watching my dad's health deteriorate over time, which ultimately led to where I am today, hell-bent on making sure that people come home safe and well at the end of each day. I love that you have that elevator speech ready to go. You really nailed exactly what it is that you do and why you do it, which is really rare. And I'm, I'm not even very good at it, and I should be. Are you comfortable talking about how things came to a crumbling halt? Oh, mate, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to. It's my why. Life on the station, really notoriously dry part of the world. Not long after my old man made the move from quite a lucrative farming area in the mid-north of South Australia out to this particular property, um, was hit by the drought of 82, like lots of other people during that era. But that obviously puts a lot of strain on a family business. So he then took it on himself to diversify by going and mustering and selling feral goats across South Australia and New South Wales off sort of neighbouring properties and further abroad. And through that process, got this nasty bug called Q fever, which Q stands for query, which means that essentially the medical professional or scientists just didn't really know a whole lot about that particular bug. And it wasn't until much later on that you can now become inoculated against it. 
it has a really dreadful sort of impact on your immune system and your organs and can create a path for lots of other nasty things, you know, further down the track. And that's essentially what happened. So we had drought of 82, got Q fever from working with feral goats, then you got Ross River virus, then obviously the compounding impact of the millennial drought, then you got diabetes, heart failure, kidney failure. He's had multiple amputations and, of course, throwing the, the sale of the station and being a sort of fifth-generation land dweller too. You can imagine the impact. And then mum and dad splitting up. So it was lots and lots of different things across the course of, a, say, a 20-year period that ultimately meant that I ended up looking after dad from around the age of 15 as their eldest sibling in line after my mum left. Dad is my superhero and fortunately he is still around. None of us quite know how. He's still, like he's on dialysis, he still lives regionally and of course he's supported by the NDIS. It's been a roller coaster, put it that way. That is a lot. Even one or two of those things is massive. So I can see why you've chosen to go into an area that is supporting and helping people on the land to connect and to be safe. That's an incredible story. When did you come up with the concept of plant a seed for safety? It's interesting, you know, like after I did a stint in mining and became self-employed, you know, I desperately wanted to be in agriculture, but we didn't have the station to go back to. There wasn't really much of a place at that point in time for women to go back on the land. And I sort of tried my hand at station handing for a while after boarding school, but <laughs> wasn't terribly satisfied with what 60 bucks a day minus keep <laughs> was going to, what that was going to do for me. So when I started contracting for myself, I realized that there wasn't much of an appetite for lots of different reasons in rural industries for safety people. And one of the greatest impediments to that is this whole fear-based stereotype that safety is all about paperwork. And rightly so, farmers just don't want to do that because it doesn't add any value. And so I started to think, well, I'm going to have to approach this very differently. How can I have a huge amount of impact without charging a small family business hand over foot and without trying to be everywhere all at once. And I thought it's two different things. So it's me as a consultant and a facilitator wearing the Alex Thomas hat, I suppose, and working with medium to large size businesses, but then working more exclusively with communities and big groups of farmers and farming women in a different way and in group forums and online and doing all these sorts of fun, cool, different things. So in terms of a finite moment in time on when it started, I distinctly remember a conversation in a car trip with my old man where we really started to unpack the role and the contribution that rural women make to a leading change, particularly around the topic of health and safety. So that was probably in its infancy in like 2015, but it didn't really become a thing until probably 2018. Yeah, you're so right. Women have got such an important role to play. And it's been really interesting even over the past five, six, seven years, watching women get raised up more and more and, and have more of a voice and be in the spotlight more. Working with someone at the moment who is a dairy farmer, she'd been in dairy for a really long time, but she'd always been called the wife even though she was out there milking, even though she was out there cleaning, she was doing all of these things, but she never referred to, even to herself as a dairy farmer until quite recently, which is just crazy. You've got this hashtag. I'd love to know how it's received and how it came about, just moving on from talking about being a wife, and it's save a life, listen to your wife. <laughs> and it's clearly 
got legs because you've put it on shirts and you're using it in workshops and things. But yeah, where did that come from and how's it received? What does save a life, listen to your wife mean? When we were on the land and when dad's health was obviously continuing to deteriorate, I was watching the way that my mum and his mother and we daughters constantly kind of at him, telling him to go to the doctor and to slow down and to take holidays and all this sort of stuff with varying degrees of success. And we all know that nobody likes to be told what to do and nobody likes to be nagged, but also appreciate that if women are the canaries in the coal mine when it comes to people's health and safety, they have a very valid reason for having those conversations. And so Save a Life, Listen to Your Wife is about acknowledging that conversation that women are already having and empowering people, women to have more of those conversations and potentially thinking a little bit more explicitly about the timing of those conversations, the language you use and so on and so forth. So there's lots of kind of different elements to it. Plan a seed for safety sits as the overarching brand. Save a life, listen to your wife is more like a sub tagline, I suppose, that really is about the focus that I take on empowering rural women. It's also just a bit of fun because I think like this whole conversation about health and safety can be so goddamn boring and negative and uninspiring. And if we can't have a laugh, then what's the point? (laughs) I imagine your target audience might end up being mostly men, but your actual audience from social media, the emails that you send out, would it be fair to say that's mostly women and that you are creating a brand that is aimed at women to start these conversations? On one hand, I've got the people that I'm trying to serve and support to come home at the end of the day, and they are often men because we know that statistically men are more affected by poorer health and safety outcomes rurally and that, on the other hand, women are the sort of champions for change. So it's a good point. Planet Super Safety definitely has a focus on women as the change makers and it also has a focus on blokes and supporting them to come home safely at the end of each day It's a massive experiment. It's constantly evolving. But I also think social change in a rural community is so multifaceted. I'm certainly not making a deliberate choice to be exclusively men or women because it has to be all of us together, really. And I'm just, you know, working really hard to try and find a language and an approach that, you know, achieves the desired outcome. And I hope that people don't think we're using stereotypes too much or being too gendered with the language. But sometimes you do have to start somewhere. And if the majority of people who have accidents on farm or are subject to the to workplace injuries and illness, as you said, are men, then I think if you're trying to create social change, start somewhere, whether it's with the women, whether it's with the men, whether it's with the kids, it doesn't really matter as long as the message is getting out. What are some of the workshops that you're running and are you mostly working in South Australia or have you managed to branch out into different areas yet? Given I've got those two couple of hats, one, Alex Thomas is a consultant and facilitator and the other one being plant super safety. If we're talking more, more specifically about rural communities and groups of farmers and farming women, those workshops run all over the country and the conversation is yay, very excited, starting to extend further abroad, certainly in New Zealand and over in Europe. So all a bit of a work in progress. But in terms of the workshops that I would do with small family businesses, it's about helping completely set fire to the underwhelming status quo when it comes to work health and safety because there are so many myths that need to be debunked about what work health and safety actually is, what the law actually says that unfortunately we have a very unregulated safety profession 
to thank for. So obviously I've been a safety professional for 17 years now. So I use that knowledge to help support small businesses to look past the paperwork, to focus just on don't hurt someone and kind of work backwards from there. And compliance with the law becomes an outcome of that process rather than focusing wholly and solely on compliance and going down the paperwork rabbit warren, which doesn't add any value. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because family businesses typically, they're on their own race. They have their own rules. And I'm sure if you, and you probably have many times, dig too deep into any family business, particularly farming, there would be all of these really unsafe practices, even just the amount of time people are working and the hours that they're putting in would be in other workplaces considered appalling. (laughs) I love this campaign for that reason alone, just starting to shine a light into some of these family farms and some of these businesses that probably are doing it the same way it's been done for generations and don't really understand that we know better now. You said it yourself, small family businesses are just in a league of their own. You know, particularly in ag, there's no line between work and home. But I think work is in and of itself is complex, non-linear and highly variable. Sometimes one of the most unhelpful things our industry does is it tries to compare itself to other industries. And people are already terrified of the conversation of work, health and safety. And if I went in and started saying, this is what you're doing wrong and this is what other industries are doing and you've always done it this way for years and whatever, whatever, people just wouldn't engage with me, let alone pay me to (laughs) help them. So very much the approach that, yes, we have an opportunity to improve. Yes, our industry in particular has an opportunity to improve. But actually, like 99.99999% of the time, we don't hurt ourselves or anyone else. So there's all this really good stuff happening. We just need to amplify that and perhaps take the microphone back from other people who think they know better than we do within our own right because we're the ones that make decisions on the job. We're the ones that are going to get hurt or not get hurt. And, you know, ultimately we're working with family and friends a lot of the time. So it's not like there's any lack of care factor there either. When we had our quick initial chat about this chat that we're having now, we did talk a little bit about marketing and social media, which was how I found you. And we talked a bit about building community online as you're building physical community. What have been some of your experiences with social media, good or bad? What have been some of the things that you've found have really affected your business? Oh, God. If only people could see my expression at the moment. (laughs) Oh, gosh, social media is the bane of my existence. I'll be completely honest with you. It drives me insane. It's always changing. I'm one person. I'm constantly walking the tightrope of trying to be authentic and keep my brand quite centric to my voice, but also make it universal enough that it can go far and beyond me. So Father Saber Safety is on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And then, of course, I have all my own personal channels. There's this ongoing tension of do I need to be on all the things? Should I just be doing one thing really, really well and not worrying about the others? But then, of course, you don't want to let any particular audience go that you've already worked so hard to build up. In terms of what I think has worked, I don't want Father Saber Safety to be all about me. I don't want it to be the Alex show. So I guess with that in mind and this focus on rural women and wanting them to be a part of this conversation, as an outcome of that, it's helped build my social media community because it's not about me. <laughs> like people get bored of me. <laughs> so that has certainly helped. And I think just constantly trying to remind myself to 
rather than push out content for content's sake, just making it high quality and keep challenging myself on all of that. You're right. Sometimes it is really important to sit back and say to yourself, do I need to be here? Is this helping me? Is this helping my audience? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they're juggling five social media profiles and an email newsletter and this and that. And then once you unpick it and you say, well, what's Twitter doing for you? And they say, oh, well, I feel like I should be on there. (laughs) You know, what's Instagram doing for you? Everyone's on Instagram, but is it working for you? No. Is it hard? Do you think your audience is on there? I'm not sure. And these are the questions that if you're not constantly asking yourself, you're just going to sit there spinning your wheels, making content. I agree with you in some ways, but I also disagree. I think sometimes it is really important to have your personality for it to be the Alex show because Alex is driving this. You're driving this show at the moment and until you get yourself to a point where you have multiple other people in the business that can become other faces of the business. I know because my business is the same. We're the faces of our businesses and we're the people that are on the other end of the phone if someone calls. We're the person standing up in front of the room of people doing a workshop. As awkward as it is, and I don't think I'll ever get used to it, it's kind of necessary. One thing that I find really challenging is that conservative rural Australia doesn't like flashy people. Social media is kind of a little bit about that, like owning your patch and standing up and being loud and proud. That's a challenge for all of us, I think, just to continue to be authentic. A lot of the stuff that people actually get from a social media account like yours is, what do you like? What do you sound like? Do I trust you? How do you make me feel? Are you patronizing? Are you putting on airs? Do you dress up? Are you too pink? There's all of these things that people can get from watching you on social media that they wouldn't get from a website. They can make some decisions about whether or not they'd like to work with you. And the best thing about your marketing is that it is authentic. So what's next? What's coming up for Plant Seed for Safety? Plant Seed for Safety has a way of kind of inadvertently attracting cool things. And one of those cool things was I got what's called the Syngenta Growth Awards in 2020 uh, for community and people. The upshot of that is you get sent across to Europe to go and check out some amazing farms and things like that. And in the process, I was like, but what if pharmacy for safety was global? So I've started putting the word global in my vision just to see what the universe gives back to me, having set that intention. So yeah, look, it's in New Zealand. I'm very hopeful. Like I've got a little thing in the pipeline, a collaboration with a big ag company that I'm not at liberty to tell you who it is just yet. But the idea is that I will support some of their people internally to become change agents to a certain degree and deliver the plan of Sydney message or amplify the message across Australia and then potentially in other regions across the world. So we shall see, like everything in startup slash social enterprise land, it's a lot of trial and error, so give it a crack. Yeah, I love it. Why not? Why not go global if... Go global is such a sexy, like, phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I might go global. Yeah. I might just travel and just put it on the work account. I'm not sure my husband and kids would appreciate it, but why not? <laughs> Having those little footholds into New Zealand is such a great idea because New Zealand and Australia, we're pretty similar in our vibe. We farm in pretty similar ways, I imagine. There'd be countries all over the world that would have these beautiful small regional farming communities going through exactly the same things 
over and over again. And I imagine to correct me if I'm wrong, but you would have learned a lot going over to Europe. It's so much older over there. These communities and these people and these techniques and these systems have been around for many more generations than they have in Australia. Did you come back with any particular learnings? I found it interesting in the sense that particularly in the UK, now I'm not well-versed to speak about this, but they talk a lot about the government subsidies and stuff that farmers get to increase biodiversity and to farm more sustainably. And obviously we do not get any of that support here, not to the extent that they do over there. So that was really quite interesting. The other thing that I found interesting, when we think of sustainable agriculture, I mean, everybody's got a different version of what that actually means, but in the EU and the UK where you think they would be a little bit more evolved on that front, they still haven't quite grasped over there any better than we have that there is no sustainable agriculture without sustainable people and communities. And that's probably where the fire in my belly is to sort of take this conversation global because it is just I'm perpetually exhausted in hearing about sustainable ag being all about the science and the research and the production and the yield and the seeds and the weeds and the wool and all this stuff. And there's no mention on how we're actually going to support people to get to these huge ambitious targets to feed and clothe the world. That is a huge undertaking. I live in a farming region in Gippsland. I don't farm. I don't have a farming background, but I know a lot of farmers. I'm constantly wondering how this is all going to work because all I see growing on this beautiful farmland at the moment is houses. I'm very interested in conversations around sustainable agriculture and people and who's going to make the food and grow the food. And it's a really interesting problem. You're sitting at the front of it, really, because the more sustainable, the more safe, the more appealing farming is, the better. You think about some of the classic wicked challenges that we're confronted by in terms of lack of medical support in regional areas. It just, again, incentivizes me to carry on because if people aren't experiencing poorer health and safety outcomes, then they don't have to go to the doctor. So while it doesn't fix that problem, I think that we've had COVID as well to catalyze this conversation around the importance of getting on the front foot and taking a preventative approach to health and safety and wellbeing. So the time's now. I'm, I'm just excited and I think it's nice to have the earshot of some of the businesses in particular in the private sector that can help facilitate that change. What are some of the mistakes that you've made or what are some of the bits of advice that you can give people who have an idea, who have a passion, who have a drive to do something, but they still want to make money, they still want to have a business? Some of the mistakes I made early in the piece in terms of trying to support fisheries it was at the time with work, health and safety was I was taking a very mining bureaucratic approach to try to support them because I didn't read the room and I didn't understand who my target market was, my target audience, what they wanted. And I also was probably a little bit immature in my understanding of what the law actually said. So understanding your target market and your target audience, I think is absolutely fundamental, not trying to be everything to everyone. So I don't really work one-on-one with small family businesses anymore because I want to have a greater impact. And I just follow the bouncing ball. Like there's no recipe for this stuff. We talk about strat plans and stuff. I get that. Like it's great to set intentions and have a bit of an idea on where you want to go. I think that's awesome. But the reality is that life and work is increasingly complex and non-linear. Big businesses are having a really hard time at the moment because they've got really rigid structures and plans, but the world is just changing so quickly. So one of the greatest things about being in small business is that you're constantly listening and learning and adapting as you go without being too rigidly fixed to any particular way of being. So 
just have a crack and if it feels good, go for it. Yeah, I think if you have a passion or even if you have some experience or skills in a particular area like you do, there is an opportunity for you to be a voice, to be an advocate, and that's how you can bring that social enterprise or social change element back into the business, which will help grow the part of the business that actually pays you so that you can do more advocacy work. I think sometimes it's a bit messy to try to be a voice, to try to be an advocate, but also earn money at the same time. I've worked for some not-for-profits and stuff and seen the hamster wheel that they're on in terms of trying to make ends meet, particularly in a changing regulatory slash government landscape and funding buckets. I just don't want to be in that world. I don't want to have to rely on government funding. So we're not a charity. It's not a not-for-profit. It's me wearing two hats and one hat just happens to drive revenue through facilitating and speaking or whatever. And then that hat throws money at the other hat while I'm in the process of building pharmacy for safety and potentially attracting private enterprises to support me. That's kind of the model and I have absolutely no inclination whatsoever to become a No, my goodness, no. If you're going to be working and you're going to be working hard and you're going to be helping people, if you can find a way to monetize that, absolutely go for it. And it sounds to me like you've got a really nice sustainable model where you're working with business, but you're also working with groups. So you don't feel like you are not accessible to people because they can reach you, they can engage with you through a group of other farmers, which in itself, getting a group of farmers in an area together is a great thing to do. Mm. And I just couldn't, to be honest, because I come from a family farm, the station business. When I did do work exclusively one-on-one with small family business, I felt like I was taking money from my cousin and it didn't sit right. But if I've got the opportunity to work with bigger groups where they can distribute the cost or they can get the industry association or grow group to help support them to get funding somewhere, it just feels better and I still get to help them. And I think it comes back to what you were talking about in the first instance. I think if you're authentically trying to advocate and support people, that potential conflict around making money and helping people doesn't become so much of a thing. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Before we head off, obviously I'll put all of your details in my show notes, but do you want to just tell people where they can find you? Me as a consultant and a facilitator, alexthomas.com.au. Otherwise, where all the exciting stuff happens is plantaseedforsafety.com and you'll see a stack of information there about what we've done or what I've done in the past essentially. And then, of course, plantaseedforsafety is on Instagram, Facebook and you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. Small Town Business was recorded on the lands of the Gunai Kurnai, and I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Big thanks to Chris at Jetstreamer for production and editing support. I'd be talking into a tin can without you. Don't forget to subscribe or follow, and if you like what you hear, please write a review to help me reach more people. Thanks for listening. 